Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello, and thank you for checking out the podcast. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Joining us now on the phone from Fort White Alive, Barrett Miller. Barrett, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. Hey, thanks a lot for doing this. Um, as soon as I heard about these coyotes around a few Winnipeg schools yesterday, uh, I thought, well, I got to get call. I got to get um, uh, Barrett on tomorrow to uh, talk about this. So, your thoughts? Um, how rare is this? Not just to see coyotes uh, in the city, but the fact that they would get this close to humans. That seems unusual to me. It's a little unusual. However, we are talking about urban coyotes here. Not that they've necessarily lost the fear of people, but we're, uh, we're really quite good to them and they have no particular reason to fear us. Now, as I understand, the coyotes weren't actually approaching people. They were just sort of comfortable yeah. in the presence of people. And that's a big difference. Right. And um, it does seem like there are, are there more this year? Do you get the sense? Because when, when three schools are affected like this, that says to me, maybe it's not unusual, but maybe the numbers are somewhat more unusual. We're seeing coyotes in parts of the city that haven't had before, Hal. So it, I don't know that numbers are up, but they certainly are moving closer in from the... It used to be that you had to cross the perimeter and go out into the rural areas to see coyotes. And then about 10 years ago, they were into sort of the suburban fringes of the city. And now they're starting to make their way closer and closer into the downtown. And really, so long as there's a little bit of cover, a little bit of riverbank, a little bit of park, a little bit of backyard and food, um, and coyotes can eat just about anything, they will move in. So... I don't know that numbers are up, but they definitely are taking advantage of urban habitat more than they have in the past. And am I right that we should be more concerned about them if you're out walking your dog, say, for example, because a dog might go after a coyote or vice versa. Is that the case? 100%. Most coyotes, even the ones that are comfortable in the presence of humans, haven't made that connection that humans have food or definitely not that they are food. Most coyotes are just content to go about their business and sort of ignore us. Now, they don't ignore other canines. Um, we don't hang out with foxes or wolves that often, but we do hang out with domestic dogs. And yeah, they can, I'm not sure who starts the fight or who sort of says what to whom, whether it's the dog chirping the coyotes or vice versa, but it can end up a little bit tense when a domestic dog and a coyote face off. Yeah, and we're south of the perimeter, just south of the perimeter, and so we keep a real eye out when we've got Hershey out uh, for coyotes and, and other you know, animals, because uh, as you say, they are more likely to be seen and around uh, outside the perimeter, outside the actual urban areas mm -hmm. of the city of Winnipeg. Very much so, yeah. They're still far more common the closer to the edges or outside of the edge of the city. Uh, I had a really good conversation with a gentleman yesterday who uh, lives near the Disraeli Freeway, though. And for the first time since he was a lad in Saskatchewan, he was hearing coyotes yipping in his neighborhood mm. um, and quite enjoying it. He was just sort of wondering why that might be. And again, it's that they've moved in a little bit. Um, it turns out that coyotes kind of like the same habitat that we do here in the city. 
Yeah, go figure, eh? Uh, what about deer? Because, boy, I'll tell you, and again, maybe it's weather-related because it has been more mild this winter and not as much snow, but, boy, I'm seeing a lot of deer this year. There are there are a large number of urban deer. I don't actually know uh, the latest count and how that compares to last year, but it does seem that we're seeing sort of a, a peak. And much like those coyotes, as some of the new areas of Winnipeg grow in, um, as we've connected more of the green corridors to make our city more walkable, bikeable, and livable for people, again, we've sort of created those corridors for some of the wildlife. And we're seeing deer move closer to the downtown as well. Um, I know... I've lived in the city now for almost 20 years, uh, seeing a deer in sort of the central part of the city never used to happen and it's happening increasingly frequently, anecdotally from others and just sort of what I've seen with my own eyes. Um, yeah, it's, they're, mov- they're moving in as well. Well, and when you have rivers running through the city like we do, I mean, often the wildlife will follow the rivers, and so they just sort of maybe by mistake end up in the city of Winnipeg as well. And, and is that what we're seeing now with all sorts of wildlife, the likelihood of, a, of an animal of some kind being seen in the city just more likely these days? It very well could be. We are a bigger city, um, so there are more eyes out, uh, you know, and we're half a million people instead of 750,000, or, yeah, there's just yep. more people watching. Right. Um, those river corridors, uh, the fact that we have greenways through the city definitely let those animals move. Um, so, yeah, it is quite possible that something ends up in the city kind of accidentally. Then there's the animals like the coyotes and the deer that sort of really, really like the perks of being close but not living with people. Um, there's no wolves. If there is a wolf in the city, it has wandered in accidentally. The coyotes realize that and stay away from that bigger canine that picks on them and sort of, oh, when I'm inside the perimeter, there's no wolves. That's ah, great. Mm. The deer, the same sort of thing. It's like, the huh, these people have gardens and flower beds, yeah. and they actually try to chase the coyotes away. Yeah, I'm going to be an urban deer. So... It's, it, you'd think as the city grows, we'd actually have wildlife, but we're very lucky in Winnipeg that as we grow, we seem to actually be making home for wildlife alongside us. Interesting. Any other animal stuff going on right now? You're the animal expert. What else uh, is going on this um, time of the year with the weather like this or any other factors that might be playing a role? Okay, well, we talked about coyotes and watching your pets because of them. Uh, folks all over Winnipeg, all over Manitoba, in fact, should be aware that this is great horned owl nesting season. They're going to be nesting and having their little ones in the next couple weeks. They do that early. A great horned owl can pick off prey up to five to eight pounds big. If you have a little kitty cat at home or you have a little fluffy dog, just take a look in the trees and maybe turn the light on before you let it out into the backyard at night because the owl doesn't know that that is an important animal to you. It just sees a potential source of food for the little ones. Right. Um, So... Uh, as the owls court one another, they mate for life, but they court each other every year. Kind of romantic. They'll be hooting a little bit more frequently around dawn and dusk. So no one anywhere in Manitoba should be surprised if they happen to hear or see a great horned owl in the next couple of weeks. And everybody should be aware that skunks are going to be a little bit more active as our days get longer and sunnier. So again, right around dusk, if you think you see a skunk, if you think you smell a skunk, it's probably a skunk. Well, listen, you didn't know that I was going to play this audio, and I'm almost out of time here, so I'll play it quickly. But um, there is, in Pennsylvania, the story that just came out of a poodle, a nine-pound poodle that was, I think it's nine pounds, that was picked up by a hawk 
and the dog was found okay four blocks away 28 hours later. Listen to this, Barrett. I said, that's impossible. She could not have survived 28 hours in the bitter cold weather in 10 degree weather. This is a six and a half pound dog. She's blind. She's deaf. She's 16 years old. I went down there and sure enough, this is the dog. There you go. The dog's okay, but the hawk picked up the dog and took it four blocks away, and they found the dog 28 hours later. <laughs> um, it's it's amazing how strong nature can be, and it's uh, good on that little poodle. Um, uh, sounds like a tough little survivor Yeah, to me. yeah. Hey, Barrett, thanks a lot for this. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Al. Have a great afternoon. Uh, the zombies, when they were introduced, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame... Uh, they were inducted by Susanna Hoff from the Bengals. Here's a little bit of what she had to say about the zombies. It took a long time to come, and it's my great honor, a highlight of my life, to induct the zombies into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And uh, joining us now on the phone, they're coming to Winnipeg, the zombies, details on that on the way, but joining us on the phone now, lead singers of the zombies, a lead singer of the zombies, Colin Blundstone. Colin, good afternoon. Hi, Al. How's things going? Things are fantastic here in Winnipeg. Where are you at? I'm in London, just outside London, and um, of course, we're a few hours ahead of you, so it's just just going dark now. We're just going into the evening. I have to say, congratulations on the induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What was that like? Well, thank you so much. I'm, it's a wonderful honor because uh, you, you really are voted by your peers. You know, fellow inductees um, have the final vote on whether you're inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, of course, the, in the public vote, we, we got over 328,000 votes, which is absolutely mind-blowing. So... It was great to go through that process and see that there were so many people supporting us. And then on the actual night, we played in front of 17,000 people. Uh, and, of course, it was televised as well in the States. And uh, it, it was a wonderful evening with, with great bands like The Cure and Roxy Music, Janet Jackson, Def Leppard, so many wonderful other, other bands that were playing who were inducted on the same night. We were having a discussion here in the newsroom earlier about you. Uh, You're certainly getting recognition for all you did now. Do you feel like maybe when it was all happening back in the 60s, you were somewhat underappreciated? Well, I don't know. It's a a sort of a... To me, uh, uh, the music business in general, to me, is a mystery. And in particular, the zombie's career is a bit of a mystery because... We finished our, our time together in 1967 recording an album called Odyssey and Oracle, which Rolling Stone has named as one of the best albums. It, I think in their top 500 albums, it came just in the top 100, the top 100 albums of all time. And yet at the time, it was totally ignored. It wasn't a commercial success, and it wasn't really a critical success either. And, and yet now, it's getting this acknowledgement, and it's it's, I think it's quite a unique story, really, that it's taken so long for people to find this album. And, to, you know, and they seem to think it's pretty good. And so it, it is lovely to get this recognition after all this time. Um, 
I suppose I do wonder sometimes what might have happened. I suppose all our lives would have been very different if we'd have got the recognition in the late 60s. But, you know, um, life life chooses its own path. Uh, I just made that up. It probably doesn't make sense. But, you know, you can't choose when these things happen. And I'm, I'm just very grateful that we're getting the recognition now. That line could be a lyric in a song I was listening uh, before talking to you to one of your newer songs, Still Got That Hunger. I won't cry for the past For I've refound my freedom at last I won't shy from the strife What doesn't kill me will fill me with life And I'm moving on Obviously, uh, you and Rod and the rest of the band still have that hunger. There's a line in that song, and I love it. What doesn't kill me will fill me with life. Well, I think there's a lot of truth in that, isn't there, really? Um, and, it, you know, it is very important to us that we're still playing live, we're still touring. Um, I think probably of the 60s bands, we, we tour as much as anybody, and we love to play, and we love to get out there. Before we come up to see you in Canada... We're doing two yeah, music-themed cruises in the Caribbean, and then we go straight into some dates across the southern states, and then we come up to Canada. Then we go to the UK, then we go to Scandinavia, and then we come back to the UK again. And that only takes us up to about June. So we're really uh, putting some miles on our, on our tour list you know, this year. It's, um, I think it's going to be really exciting. You'll be here at Club Regent Casino on April 15th. What can your fans here expect? Well, you know what? I think, you know, they can expect all the old standards. So I think some tunes from the past, the present, and the future, because we'll play all the hits, and we'll play a selection of tunes from that album, Odyssey and Oracle, that, the Ro- that Rolling Stone said is one of the best albums ever. We'll also play tunes from our last album, which I think of as the present. Um, and And... We're recording at the moment, so there'll be some songs, brand new songs, that, that are just being recorded right now, so no one will have heard those songs, and we'll p- play two or three brand new songs. So there'll be songs from the past, present, and the future. Something for everybody. One of my favorites is Time of the Season. What was it like when Eminem sampled that? I, it's so interesting, isn't it? We've been really fortunate that um, a, lo- a lot of our tunes have been used in films and commercials, and also, uh, things like this, that, that current artists take the basis of our song. He used our track and put different lyrics over the, the top of it. And uh, I think it's fantastic to hear your work from all those years ago, getting an ultra-modern, cutting-edge treatment. And, and, you know, I was thrilled when, when, uh, when he did that. Colin, you sound great. I don't get the sense you're going to give this up anytime soon. No, no, no. I'm going to keep touring as long as I'm physically able. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it, it keeps us all young and it keeps us energized and we just have a ball. So we're going to keep going for as long as we can possibly do it. Colin, thanks for your time today. And I know your fans here are really excited about you coming. Well, we're looking forward to it too. So we're going to have a great night. Looking forward to seeing them. Great to talk to you. All the best. Tour safely. Okay, thanks. Bye. It's the time of the season When when love runs high In this time Give it to me easy And let me try 
Again, the Zombies will play Club Region Event Center on April 15th. Get your tickets, and who knows? You might win a pair of tickets. We're going to play a round of tough trivia sometime between now and 4 o'clock. Your chance to win a pair of tickets for that show involving the Zombies. You know, uh, I have so many, there are so many cool things about my job, but when you get to talk to somebody like that, I mean, here's a guy who's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and just the coolest guy, right? You know, it, it's so, it's such a joy uh, uh, to have a job where you get to talk to people like that and people like you, but people like that, that, uh, you know, have made a significant uh, uh, mark in, in this case, in the music world. Really cool. Speaking of cool people, I forgot to mention this at the start of the show because I was I was giving Tristan Field Jones a hard time. I got off the air yesterday, and there's a great big bag sitting on my desk, and in that bag is a beautiful old radio. And um, I have a nice note here, handwritten note from Ben and Kim, and here's what they wrote: Hal, my husband and I thought you would like this old radio for your studio that you're building on your property. I'm converting an old outbuilding into a, a studio, video and audio studio. They go on to say, uh, how this has been in my husband's family for over 50 years. We heard you mention on your show a few weeks back talking about old microphones and radios and your love of them. Uh, thought maybe this might be of interest to you. Keep up the great work that you do on your show. Hope you enjoy uh, the berries because um, they are from uh, Ben and Kim are uh, from Getaway Farms. Uh, out in Newton, Manitoba. And so isn't that nice? And it is a beautiful radio. My gosh, um, Ben, if it's been in your family for over 50 years, it was well taken care of. It's an old Viking radio from the T. Eaton Company. I plugged it in when I got home last night. I turned it on. All I got is static, but there's no antenna on it, and there's a spot for an antenna in the back, so I'm going to put the antenna on it. So thank you very much. I, uh, and I talk about being lucky to talk to cool people like Colin from the Zombies, but, boy, I'll tell you, really blessed to have cool people like Ben and Kim uh, thinking of me and giving me such a, a wonderful gift. So thank you all very much. Uh, really appreciate it. But as we head to a break... Begin here, the zombies on CJOB. Well, no one told me about her, the way she lied. Well, no one told me about her, how many people cried. But it's too late to say you're Colin Fast is the Director of Policy at the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce, and he joins us on the phone now. Colin, nice to chat with you again. Oh, nice to chat with you, Hal. Thanks for doing this. So this morning on the start, they were talking about this in Edmonton, 250 grand up for grabs in hopes of drastically reducing liquor store robberies in that city. Yes, there are lots of them in that city as well. And basically, the Edmonton Police Foundation and uh, the largest private sector liquor retailer have announced a $500,000 grant. Half the money is prize money for whoever comes up with the idea, and then two hundred and fifty grand will be used to uh, implement the idea, whatever the solution is, to liquor store robberies 
in Edmonton. And it got me thinking, you're with the chamber, you're all about business, and we've talked about politicians in the past, uh, maybe looking harder at the way they do things. It struck me that, again, business is showing that they're better than government at trying to get to the bottom of it because with our liquor robberies here in Winnipeg and Manitoba, it went on for months and we still haven't had a final solution. Yeah, you know, I think this is a really uh, innovative approach that, that Edmonton is piloting and, uh, you know, they're, they're looking at expanding this. Uh, I don't know this is their initial uh, uh, initial project areas. They're looking at liquor thefts, but uh, I know that they're taking a broader look and, and uh, even looking at the meth epidemic there as well and and uh, looking to, uh, you know, are there opportunities to work with the private sector or nonprofits or, you know, just the community at large in trying to come up with new solutions to problems? Because I think we recognize that, uh, you know, government often needs to be, uh, they need to be part of the solution, but they don't necessarily have to come up with it in the first place. I know when the liquor robberies uh, first started getting attention here, we talked a lot about it on our air, and we got a lot of text messages, a lot of emails, and a lot of phone calls with a lot of different ideas that at least at first glance seemed to make sense. And yet, as I said, it took a long time uh, for government, for the Crown Corporation, to try something. It seems to be working, but even that is taking far too long, in my opinion. So um, do we need to do more of this, do you think, Colin? Yeah, you know, I, I think that it does speak to uh, a bit of an issue with government, that sometimes just the nature of government, it's its so large, it's so bureaucratic, that it is kind of hard to, uh, you know, to move quickly and to respond to a situation that's sort of rapidly evolving. Um, and I think the benefit of, uh, you know, challenges or competitions like this is that you can really tap into uh, some of the innovative thinking that's taking place outside of government. Um, and just getting a fresh set of fresh set of eyes on, on the problem sometimes can, uh, you know, uncover some solutions that uh, those people that are, you know, living and breathing this every day, they might not necessarily see them. Almost seems to me like there needs to be a uh, you know a minister of innovation or something at every level of government, and that minister's responsibility is to come up with cool ideas uh, and work with taxpayers to try and figure some of the serious problems out. Yeah, well, I, know. I think you are seeing at, at all levels of government that there is a bit more of a push into into the world of innovation. Uh, but uh, you know, again, it's it's moving at, at the speed of government, I guess. Um, but I, I know even uh, you know within Manitoba there has been uh, some some movement with uh, social impact bonds, looking at uh, you know new ways of addressing uh, social problems. Uh, and I know the province last year actually had funded a competition sort of similar to this, looking at the issue of um, trying to increase literacy rates amongst young people, and they offered up a prize and there was a bunch of uh, you know um, participants that uh, made their pitch and uh, and now I believe there's a project team that's actually working on implementing this solution so it is happening it's just happening uh, kind of slowly that's all yeah that's right I forgot about that yeah that that is a good uh, a good example of uh, at least something similar to this hey well I've got you I think the last time we talked you were in studio and we talked about City Hall uh, taking a closer look at the way it spends money and budgeting and all that kind of stuff. And here we are on the verge of getting a look at this budget after this interesting new process. Any thoughts? Uh, well, yeah, it's definitely been interesting. Uh, I think the engagement level from the public, frankly, has been great. I mean, I know there's been a lot of concern amongst uh, certain community groups that are worried about their uh, you know, their pool or their library or things like that that uh, might be on the chopping block. But, uh, you know, honestly, I've been watching, uh, you know, City Hall for close to 20 years now, and I've never seen this level of engagement on a, on a budget. So I think that's, that's a good thing. 
Um, I, I'm as interested as everybody else in seeing kind of what the finished product is going to look like and, uh, you know, whether council has really uh, made some hard decisions here and, uh, or if it's just, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of tweaking around the edges, which is what we normally see. Well, and that's what I worry about, right? I, I worry that uh, all this stuff gets floated to get us all wound up and nervous and then when we start to see, uh, you know, the preliminary look at the at the budget, you know, then a lot of the cuts that are talked about don't happen. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's a that's a good thing, I think. But I, I just wonder how much politics is involved here. Yeah, there's definitely that. And, and I think even, uh, you know, within the uh, the city bureaucracy, I think that there were uh, some of the suggestions floated by the departments. I, I think they knew that the public weren't wasn't uh, going to support. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we've sort of obviously seen that play out. Um, but yeah, it's going to be up to councillors to make those tough decisions. And, uh, you know, with this being a four-year cycle and them trying to balance this budget on a four-year basis, uh, I think that that's really going to be a bit of an extra challenge for them this time around. And uh, I mean, my hope is that they do actually, uh, you know, really dig into this and, and make uh, make a few tough decisions and really concentrate on what the, the core services of the city need to be. Hey, Colin, thanks a lot for this. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, nice chatting with you again. That's Colin Fast, the Director of Policy at the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.